Welcome to our 15 on the 15th series, our bite-sized book club via podcast. My name is Katie Lashad, and I'm so glad that you were able to join us. I'm here with Jenny Dees and Claire Roach. In the next 15 minutes, we will be discussing Claude Goldenberg's 2008 article, Teaching English Language Learners What Research Does and Does Not Say. We're going to primarily focus on pages 14 through 22. If you haven't already read it, we hope the con- our conversation will help you want to read it. You won't regret it. So let's jump right in. I was really struck by this quote on page 16. Children often see their non-English backgrounds as detrimental. What do you think? It broke my heart to read that because I wish I could speak more than one language. I know. Jenny, I feel like it's such a blessing that I can speak more than one and I wish our children realized it. But one thing that I think is so important is not just that we emphasize to our students what a gift, how lucky they are that they can speak more than one language, but that we also extend that to their families. Um, Just this past spring, it's it's what made me think about it when I was reading. I was talking to a mom, a recent immigrant, relatively recent immigrant from Mexico, who's absolutely dogged about her children um, taking advantage of their educational opportunities here in the United States. And what I remember is how surprised she was when I emphasized to her how important it was that she was reading to her boys in Spanish. I mean, she was genuinely surprised. And I think to myself, we who work in school communities, are we doing enough to let our parents know that what they do to expand their children's knowledge of their primary or native language actually makes an impact on how well their children are learning English. And and I can understand how counterintuitive this is. Um, And I do, I think he really hits this point home, that helping students learn to read in their native language, the language they speak at the dinner table with their mom and dad, helps them become more successful readers in English. It doesn't make sense, but it seems like the research is overwhelming. I completely agree. I think the research points to the fact that literacy in your first language equates to stronger literacy in your second language. But my question is, what does this look like in a school where teachers don't often speak two languages or three languages? What does this mean for our practice? Well, I think you would start with good practice, having a very structured classroom, providing graphic organizers, having very targeted learning objectives. But you also have to convince your staff and your parents that sharing this gift of the child's native language is a gift that deserves to be shared. So communication needs to go home to parents telling them why this is important and how best to do it. And in fact, the article on page 16 um, advertises Colorine, Colorado, which has some great resources pertaining to that topic. And I think another important thing schools can do is to make sure that they have texts written in the native languages of the student populations they serve. So that those kids can actually check out books from the school library and bring it home to mom and dad to read with. Absolutely, and I think we've seen a lot of schools starting to do this, um, and the use of Title III funds, um, Title III funds can be used to help pay for these uh, books for the classroom library. In addition to talking about the importance of literacy development in the first language and the second language, Goldenberg also explains the idea of transfer between two languages. Jenny, um, I know this is something that you're passionate about. Can you explain a little bit about what transfer is and why it's effective? 
I think Goldenberg does a fantastic job beginning on page 15, outlining this concept of transfer. And put very simply, it's the idea that what children learn in their native language transfers to the skills that they're using as they acquire other languages. We don't know much about transfer concretely in research yet, but we do know that skills transfer. We know that phonological awareness probably transfers. We know that decoding strategies transfer. And this happens for children who use an alphabet similar to English and those who do not. Um, these skills will transfer and support reading comprehension and reading development in English if they're practicing them in their first language. And I think it's really important for teachers to know this and to communicate it with parents, as we mentioned earlier. Jenny, what does a child do in which, if their first language, uh, let's say, is Mandarin, in which the alphabet is not necessarily phonologically uh, aligned with English, like Spanish, maybe? What are your thoughts on that? The transfer correlation isn't as strong but the reading skills are definitely utilized and reinforced. For example, simple things like page turning and tracking are really important in literacy development. And learning those in your first language, such as Mandarin, would also transfer to English. But it, we also have to make sure that teachers are really explicit in their instruction in helping kids to see what is similar about those processes and what is different. So if the teacher is pointing out similarities in English and Spanish and similarities in reading at home and reading in school, that will increase the amount of information that gets transferred. And Claire, what do you think about the idea of reading comprehension strategies transferring? What does that mean to you? Well, my daughter's homework last night was to come home and find evidence from the text that supports an idea. And I'm thinking this is a classic example. Going to the text, find evidence, um, is something that a child can do in any language, whether it be Arabic, Mandarin, Swahili, or Spanish. Um, so I, but I do want to get to one other thing, Jenny, that you said that I thought was very interesting. And that was the explicit connection making between two languages. And because we know that about 80% of our English learners here in the United States are Spanish speaking, um, I'd like to use a Spanish example, if that's okay. And that is the idea of a cognate. So a word that sounds very similar, for example, in Spanish and English, I'm thinking radio and radio, supermarket, supermercado. Um, so often children know the words in both languages, but no one ever invites them to make the connection between how similar those two words are. And so I always like to encourage teachers, one very simple thing that they can do when they're working with English language learners is to make connections with words that they already know from their na native language, to actually use cognates in the classroom. And sometimes we forget that our students have great metalingual skills. And so if we don't know what those connections are, simply asking, does this sound like a word that you know in Spanish? can allow them to make that connection, but you're providing them with the opportunity to stop and make the connection by asking the question. That's a perfect example of explicit instruction. Exactly what I was thinking, Claire. So in addition to the importance of home language and the role of transfer, Goldenberg has also talked a lot about learning content and language simultaneously. Uh, Goldenberg gives a great example of rhyming words. Uh, Jenny, I know that we discussed this last week, uh, but what was your takeaway from the rhyming word example? Katie, I love this example on page 22. Assessments become something really important to me. 
um, as an educator, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about how to make assessments effective and valid and accurate for our English language learners and all students. And in this example, they simply asked children to name a word that rhymed with lake, hoping that students would produce words such as cake and bake. And most of the students were unable to accomplish this task, even native English speakers. And it turned out when they looked closely at the assessment, they were not only asking about rhyming words, but they were assessing vocabulary. And because these young children had a limited vocabulary, they weren't accurately assessing rhyming, they were assessing something that they had not explicitly taught to these children. And so a more effective way to do it would be to say, do boat and lake rhyme? Why or why not? Or to give a series of words and say which words rhyme. And so it just pointed out to me how intentional we need to be about the assessments we use in our classroom if we're really going to use those assessments to inform our instruction. Absolutely, and the importance of distinguishing between what is content knowledge and what is knowledge of language. Um, and to what extent can your English language learners show you mastery of content even when they don't necessarily have the linguistic skills to do so? Yeah, I think one of Goldberg's most important points was, and, and I think your example, Jenny, spotlighted this, how important it is to explicitly teach vocabulary development. Um, you know, so often we fall into the trap of thinking of vocabulary development as our spelling words for the week. And um, one of the things that Gold, Goldberg mentions numerous times is that English language learners in particular need teachers who are constantly finding creative ways to expand their vocabulary because so often vocabulary is the roadblock. It's not their capacity to tweak or use the language. It's the words itself that get in the way. So, um, you know, one of the things I always like to say is we need to teach vocabulary through gesture. We need to teach it through word wall. We need to teach it not only in language arts, but in PE and art and science. Um, if all we think about is having students look words up in the glossary, we are doing our English language learners a, a very distinct disadvantage. Absolutely. One thing that I like to think about and that I tell my teachers often um, is what I consider the seven S's. So when you're teaching a word, can you have the students say it and repeat it? Can they spell it? And then looking at spelling, a lot of times you're going to get at kind of phonics patterns and root words and suffixes and prefixes. Can they see it? Um, through images. Uh, number four, I, ha I usually say Spanish translation uh, because of the S connection with Spanish, but it could be any type of translation. Again, reinforcing, do they know the word in their first language? Number five would be show it. So show it through some kind of actions or some kind of motions. Uh, number six is synonyms. Where else, A, number one, where might they see these words somewhere else? So the word is uh, democracy. Where are they going to see that word in other places? Um, but also, what does that word mean? What are synonyms for that word? And number seven is, a, is sentence use. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example um, with a sentence? So to me, if we're looking at these seven S's, we're really getting at a larger approach to language, some depth to, to the word, um, and then the likelihood that it's going to stick, a greater likelihood of that. As we wrap up our Bite Size Book Club for today, we would love to introduce you to our English as a New Language secret recipe, or our approach to serving English language learners. 
Um, in sharing this, we believe that Goldenberg hit on all three of these domains as well. We believe that teachers of English language learners should be knowledgeable in three areas. We believe that they should understand the process of language acquisition. We hope that you're able to employ research-based instructional strategies and that you're able to develop culturally sustaining classrooms. In my opinion, um, in talking about home language and transfer and explicit development of vocabulary, um, I think that Goldenberg has touched upon these three areas. Uh, but I just want to wrap up by asking my colleagues here, as educators, what is your takeaway? What are you going to implement in your classrooms? Well, one of the things that I definitely took away is how important it is to recognize that kids don't learn English as a second language in isolation, that it's deeply connected to their first language. So whatever we can do in schools to help students um, develop a deeper understanding of their first language, even if it's just encouraging parents at home, that it's important and worthwhile. Claire, my takeaway would build upon that beautifully. I think it's important for our instruction in the classroom to be explicit and intentional so that things like transfer can occur and kids can maximize their learning potential. Absolutely. And I think my takeaway is that um, almost everything that I read stated in this article, um, I kept thinking through the lens of, of all of our learners. I think that everything mentioned could genuinely benefit every child. Um, in our classroom. And so with that, we wish you um, the best of luck uh, in your classrooms um, and then kind of digesting uh, this article. And we welcome you back to our Bite Size Book Club next month. Thank you. Thank you.